every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. Hi, and welcome to High Turnout, Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I'm the county clerk in Boone County, Missouri. And with me is my co-host, Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri. And this week, we are really excited to talk to Lance Goff, who formerly was with the Chicago Board of Elections. And we are going to be delving into all things Chicago and what he's learned over his career. So we're really excited to have him here. And we always ask our first question, which is, how did you end up working in elections? I started in elections. Well, I was living in California at the time. I just finished going to school and I said, you know, I want to, I had relatives here in Chicago. So I said, well, I'm going to move to Chicago. So I moved to Chicago and I decided to go to the election board and see what was going on. And to basically get a part-time job. And that was about 46, 47 years ago. And that part-time job <laughs> stuck for over 47 years, believe it or not. Uh, they hired me on the spot. I did some elections in LA and uh, they said, well, you have some experience. And uh, that's how it began. Then when they formed the computer room. I was in charge of the computer room when we went from lever machines to punch card voting. I saw that and uh, it's been a great ride. And I just basically retired because this is a young man's game. And believe it or not, I'm, I'm happy the way the office is going. We've uh, initiated a lot of innovative ideas at the Chicago board. And I'm just very happy. But yeah, a part-time job into being a lifetime. I think especially in, you know, for lack of a better term, let's say the big city, you know, Chicago's a, a big city. <laughs> to have that kind of longevity in, in a position like that, I think is pretty unique. What do you attribute your longevity to? I mean, uh, you know, politics and things like that. And in the big city, they're often full contact. It just always seems controversial. So you know, what, well, uh, how did you make it work all those years? I remember when uh, the, the Chicago Board of Elections has three board members that oversees the elections. Uh, the executive director, who I was the ex appointed executive director, runs the elections. And uh, it's really unique. The three board members are two from one party, one from the other. So I have two Democrats and one Republican. But we don't serve under city council or any other rules. It's the Circuit Court of Cook County that oversees the elections in the city of Chicago. So it's unique in that way it was made up. And it's really funny when they asked me if I would take over the, uh, as being executive director of the Chicago Board of Elections, I said, yes, I would. But I don't want any outside politicians meddling. You know, I'm a nonpartisan employee. I've always said that. You know, it's funny. I have a lot of friends that are politicians, but I don't go to any campaigns. 
I don't go to any fundraisers. You know, I've written a check to anybody. And I, I've upheld that for a long time. Uh, Harold Washington, when I first was appointed uh, executive director, uh, I went to see Harold Washington and I wanted to explain that. And he said, Goff, he says, uh, just to let you know, if you take care of the community, the community will take care of you. And then after meeting with uh, him, I met over to see George Dunn, who was the president of the county board and explained what we were trying to do with the Chicago. And he says, you have our support. And to have those two icons in, in Chicago politics said that they would support me 100%. Then I started meeting with all the different community groups. And just to give you, it's funny, uh, the University of Chicago had a meeting. They wanted about stop the violence. And they met with several hundred community groups, and most of them were the ones that I have met with in the past. And it's worked out very well. If somebody has a gripe with me, my doors are open. You come and see me. Let's find out what's going on. Let's see what I can and cannot do. But A, I will not break the law for anybody, and I'm not going to bend it. What I wanted to do is make sure it was an even playing field. When I first got at the Chicago board, I hate to say it, there was sections of the community that were left out that did not have a voice. And I was gonna make sure that no matter what, that if you black, white, yellow, if, you're, if, you're, if you have trouble speaking English, you will be listened to. In fact, I'm very proud that our, under section, two of the, uh, section 203 of the Voting Rights Act, all the different languages have a seat at the table. And this worked out very well. So that's what I consider why I've been there so long. Plus, I didn't think anybody wanted the job, but I found out when we, we posted my position open and they had uh, you know, about 40 people apply for it, then yeah, I found out they really did want that job. So that's basically just take care of the community. You talked a little bit about just kind of the infrastructure and the, the charge of Chicago's mm -hmm. Board of Elections, but how does that work with Cook County? Do you have a lot of collaboration? Do you guys kind of stay in your own lanes? No, we do. The new, uh, the county clerk of Cook County is, uh, she's really, really innovative. And we've, we've worked very well. When I was executive director at the Chicago Board of Election, David Orr was the county clerk of Cook County. And David Orr would, and I would meet on a weekly basis if, because the county and the city are so close together that we even coordinated on voting equipment. Could you imagine we having one type of system and the county having another system? You cross the street and you're in the county or vice versa, you're in the city. So we work together and we work together to make sure that we got the word out. So. When we did a, a press release, we worked with the county so it would be a joint press release. So no, we worked very well with uh, our county clerk. And Lance, I think that's a really interesting point because at least I didn't realize this, most people listening to this wouldn't realize until I had a chance to take a tour of the Chicago Board of Elections. I didn't realize the Chicago Board of Elections is on one floor the county clerks on the next floor. I mean, you guys are in the same building. So we are that, in the same building. Yes. Yeah. 
that collaboration you talk about must be important. I think that's, I don't know that there's an arrangement quite like that anywhere else in the country. Well, Karen Yarbrough is the new uh, county clerk of Cook County, and I knew her before in the past, and she's a wonderful woman, and she's great to work with, and we have a real uh, close working relationship and a friendship, so yes, uh, it works out real well for both agencies, and it's, you know, people say, well, why don't you just have the county clerk's office run all the elections and save money? They said it would save money. Well, it really won't because you will have the same number of polling places. You have the same number of poll workers that you need to train. I mean, you're not saving any money at all. Lance, do you think there are particular unique challenges to running elections in, in an urban environment? We've spoken with on this podcast a couple of clerks from very rural jurisdictions across the country, and they've shared their unique challenges in running elections in very rural areas. Um, we, we haven't really delved into what it's like trying to run elections in a, in a very urbanized environment like Chicago and um, what might be unique about it. Well, with the 2,696 precincts, 50 wards, early voting sites all over, it's, it's it, transportation is an issue. Recruiting judges has a, is a, always been a problem. We have about 12,000 poll workers that we have to recruit. And to recruit all those and to trade them in a short amount of time, it is, uh, it is hard. You know, some, I was talking to somebody called me up and says, Lance, how much do you pay your judges? And I said, well, it was $150 for the person to serve. We'd give them another $50 to go through training. If they transported the ballots to the receiving station, you got an extra 25. I mean, those are the kind of breakdowns. And I said, why? She said, well, I'm going in front of my, my clerk's office and I want to let them know that my budget for the uh, poll workers is going to be about uh, $500,000. And I said, oh, okay. So I gave her the breakdown. She said, what was yours? And I said, ours is average about 4 million in election. So, you know, it, it's, you do the same amount of work but you have more people to work on it. That's basically, we go through the same steps no matter what. It's just that we have a lot of people that we have to bring on in order to make those steps. Yeah, and to that point, as I mentioned or alluded to earlier, I was really lucky, had a chance to happen to be in Chicago oh, a month or two ago, stopped by and uh, your successor, Charles Holiday, gave me a great tour of the whole office. You happened to be in the office that day. <laughs> yeah. That said, hi, you're, you're, uh, you're still um, doing some stuff there. And that's what struck me is that you have a person, our department for everything. You know, you, like you said, you, you, have, you have to have a, a pretty large operation to, uh, to, to take care of these things. And as you mentioned earlier, while we were talking, your section 203 compliance, that was pretty impressive for me to see. You know, you had people there uh, dedicated to each individual language, uh, working right. in those language communities. That's no small undertaking, I assume. And is that something that uh, you built up over the years? I mean, was that a something that was an initiative of, of you and, and the board? Or was that something that the federal government kind of came in and said, you, you all need to do a better job of this? We did that before uh, Section 203 of the federal government got in. 
And the reason why that we have, the city of Chicago has huge populations. We have a, a huge Hispanic population. We have one of the largest Polish populations in the United States. It was at one time, it was second, second to Warsaw. I mean, we, so we have to take care of the people that even though they do speak English, but it's not proficiently, we want, wanted to print those ballots in their own language. And that's what we decided to do. And that was part of uh, when we met with the different community groups, they said, hey, we wanna have a seat at the table and our people need help. We're not asking for you to, to do much, but to at least print the, the information and train our poll workers so they can be bilingual. And that's what we did. And it's worked out very well. I mean, we've been to Washington a couple of times and uh, demonstrated what we were doing and I was really proud of. Changing tax for just a, a minute, but um, one of the things that you and I had recently done together was speak on the Stewards of Democracy presentation. And one of the things that they're working on and that you were speaking to was diversity in the election administration field in general. Chicago is a very diverse city in the first place, but I was wondering if you could speak to your longevity in working in administration and what you've seen, whether the field has been diversifying as much as it should be and, and your thoughts on what we as elections administrators should be doing more to uh, be more inclusive to, to make that better. Well, I agree with you. It's, uh, it's come a long way from the past. Uh, when I first started the Chicago board, I called it was almost like pant, uh, plantation elections. You know, you were told to do this. You could not ask any questions. This is how it was and period. And I, what happened was we brought a lot of people to the table. Um, at one time in early years, uh, when I first started elections 40 years ago, most of your people that were uh, overseeing the election department were women, which I thought was a great idea, but they were women. And because they were the ones in the early years that started working in computers. And uh, it's, it's evolved. I mean, there, uh, at one time, our office was very large, but there were hardly any African-Americans in the office, hardly any Hispanics. And it didn't, it didn't come up with what's in the city of Chicago. So we tried to make it even. And we got everybody involved. In fact, when we uh, post jobs, we don't post them internally. We, we post them outside. We've gone through the whole city catalog we, on our website because we're looking for diversity, but the best person also for the position. And it's worked out very well. I mean, uh, my new finance director, she's great. I mean, we have some really strong people that we have hired over the last several years. Just kind of the people that do end up working, I think, at the, the head of the offices. So whether you're elected, whether you're appointed, we go to these conferences, we go to election center and things like that. And, and the field is still overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly women. Have you seen that change over the years as you've been going to these conferences and talking to people? Oh, yes, it has. You know, uh, 
when I, uh, at the time, IACRIOT, uh, they never had, uh, I was African-American representative. I was the first president of IACRIOT that was uh, non-white. And uh, then after that, Gertrude Walker came through. So, I mean, you can see things are moving and they're moving in the right direction. Everybody should have a seat at the table. The way the city's ethnic population is, is made up is the way the office should be made up. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but it's improving. And you can see the improvement. So Lance, I know you're still doing some work there um, at the board. Uh, what's, uh, and I've, I've heard you speak a couple of times about your um, retirement, for lack of a better term, I guess. Uh, <laughs> what's, uh, so, and you've mentioned that you, you know, you still are, you know, want to be active in some things. So what's, what's the next chapter for Lance Goff? Well, I've been, uh, like uh, Brianna said, I did the Stewards of Democracy Initiative conversation, and I did something with uh, Auburn University about uh, voting. I'm, I'm working. I, I, uh, Democracy Live asked if I would help out, and other clerks around the United States has asked, would you do election assessment in our office? And I have no problem with that. In fact, it's something I like. You know, once you get involved in elections, it's in your blood. And if you look at all the people that have left, they can't stop. You know, Paul DiGregorio and I still talk about it. The time we went to Albania and, and he almost got me beat up, but I'll tell you that story later on. But I mean, he's Tom Wilkie in New York. Even though we have retired, we're still getting involved. And it's worked out very well. And it's funny, I don't want to tell somebody how to do it. I just want to give them another way of think about doing it this way. You know, Charles Holliday, uh, Charles, I'm not going to tell him how to do it, but I'm going to say, Charles, over the years, this is what we found out could happen. So you might want to think about that. So you don't want to tell somebody how to do it, but you want to show them there's several ways of doing it. And it's up to them to pick out the way they want to do. I'm sure in your tenure, as executive director in Chicago, you you weathered some storms. Obviously, last year, the presidential election, a lot of controversy following that in different places across the country. A lot of election administrators were being threatened or still being threatened or uh, came under intense scrutiny quite often for things that they hadn't done or things that were, were perceived in, in a different way. What advice, if any, do you have for folks who are newer in this field, who are seeing all, all of these things transpire and thinking, oh, man, is this really something I should stick with? Well, you know, and, and I was just writing down some things, but election officials need to know how to achieve a balance between transparency and security. You want to be transparent. You want to show that, hey, Basically, there's nothing up our sleeve. All we want to do is run the election. We want to run it as cleanly as possible. But we don't want somebody to see, you know, like it's a secret ballot. You know, Lanscoff voted this way. Never wanted that to get out. So you, it's a balance that you have to take. And um, I just think that it's something that with, uh, you know, people, uh, extortioners, hackers, 
cyber extortionists, you know, they're attacking us also. You know, we, most election officials don't have a huge computer system, you know. I mean, we, we train people, we have them, we rely on other people, cyber techs to come in and help us with it. But that's something that's always out there. But transparency means a lot. I mean, we had, when we first started counting, we went from doing 175,000 vote by mail ballots for the primary. The general, we went up to almost 600,000. And people said, well, what's going on? And we just made it available. If they wanted to come in and watch us count, they could. And we had a huge crowd, a huge crowd the first day when we were counting uh, vote by mail ballots. Then the next day, the crowd got smaller. The next day, then near the, near the end, we were asking, does anybody want to come and watch us count ballots? I mean, and that's the whole thing what, by having, uh, letting the community know what you're doing. Um, I gave an offer to the United States Hispanic Leadership Council. Uh, Dr. Andrade, you want to come bring some people to come in and see? He said, no, I, we trust you. You know, Reverend Jackson would push. Reverend, do you want to come in and have some of your uh, constituents watch what we're doing? You know, I don't want anybody to say we're hiding behind closed doors. He says, no, I trust you. So if you can build that trust with the different community groups, it'll lead you a long way. It really was. We had a, a couple of outsider groups take shots at us. And let's put it this way, 40% of the population during the November election thought the election was stolen. So we had to prove that A, it wasn't, and that we, we're open. We have open door policy. And it worked out very well. Plus, the election wasn't close at all in, in uh, Illinois. So that helped a lot. But yes, I got calls from a lot of my friends that were getting beat up all over the United States. I I, somebody asked me to go down and, and look at what they did down in, in uh, Maricopa County. I went down there. They did nothing wrong. It was perfect. In fact, even the, the cyber ninjas wrote their, uh, their report that they couldn't find anything. In fact, it was just the opposite. So, you know, it, it's, it's hard to change people's minds, but if you start with an open policy, you'll do all right. I am just curious if you have one or two things that you have done in your time that you kind of learned the hard way that you might like to share with people that are getting into the field. Well, yeah, I had a, uh, before I took over as the executive director, the previous executive director uh, was doing a ballot order. Now in Illinois, uh, you have to print at least 100% of ballots per the population. Well, he said that a lot of these ballots were going to waste and he was gonna go over and come up with a new number of how these ballots should be allocated. What happened, it was a big surge in some areas and they were running out of ballots and they panic. And you know, ballots are something that you can put on a Xerox machine or go down to Jiffy print and have printed up. And it was a hard uh, lesson uh, that they learned. And you know, it's, it's funny, you, he said, well, I saved 100,000. He had 100,000 ballots, I mean, $100,000 that he saved, but, 
had a horrible election. How much is that election worth? It's worth whatever you have to do to get it done correctly. Yes, we don't want to waste any money, but to save 100000 and I used the other words, but screwed up. I called it something else, but it was horrible. And I said, that would never happen while I'm around. And uh, in fact, they changed the law for the actually printing of the ballot, so that would never happen again. So yeah, testing is another thing. When you test your voting equipment, they were getting test decks. Well, we, I said, get one ballot from every package of ballots and run those through. You can't take a chance. And we found out that at one time, uh, the printers changed presses and that second group of ballots just weren't 100%. So you need, it's, it's all about testing. Your logic and accuracy tests, testing your equipment, testing your ballot, testing your personnel. In fact, uh, we have what we called uh, our, our, our test that we do prior to the election that we open to the public. At one time, we had a lot of people. The last several, uh, for the November election, nobody came to watch for us to go and test all the equipment. So it's something that, you know, keep testing. Don't, don't take anything for granted because trust me, if something bad could happen, it will. Well, to me, it seems like this whole talk about fraud and hacking and everything and audits, it's, it's taken up all the oxygen in the room uh, lately. But um, I, I fear it's taken away from, from other things in election administration that might need to be addressed. And I'd like to know from your perspective, if after everything you've done and achieved over these years, what maybe in Chicago, but, but more globally in the field of election administration, what is undone? What still needs to be improved? What could be done better? Always harped on it. I think transparency. We need to be more transparent. And as election officials, we need to get out to, and let the public know what we're actually doing. You know, if the public can see what you're doing, I think they will trust. I mean, this last election, I mean, the presidential election, put a lot of distrust in elections. And it's sad, it really is. Um, I, I don't know how you're gonna get it back. All we can do is just open it up. What we did though, uh, this last uh, several elections, we've had a large number of high school students and college students work. And I've always said, once you get the young people into the election and see what they're doing, you have that person for life. And we've had some uh, college students that have graduated and become you know, CPAs and doctors and lawyers, but they come back and work on election time. So start off early, get those people involved, and uh, I think they'll stick with you. We've been very fortunate to deal with MICVA and uh, their uh, recruitment of high school students has been great. And uh, the colleges here in, in Chicago, we have a lot of university and colleges and there's a great place to recruit people from those locations. So that's another thing, get the, get the young people involved. So 
a number of election administrators I've spoken with over the years, if they're from a, a large jurisdiction or maybe the largest jurisdiction in the state and many of the other jurisdictions in the state are, are smaller or more rural, um, there's, there always seems to be not a mean-spirited, but somewhat of a tension uh, between you know, the state and the largest jurisdiction or the large jurisdictions and what, what they need and want and what the smaller jurisdictions need and want. I'm curious how that um, has played out in Illinois during your tenure, uh, if it has at all. And I wonder if having a state board of elections makes any difference versus, you know, like in many states, there's a secretary of state that is kind of the chief election official. I, I wonder what that interplay has been like during your tenure in Illinois. Well, in Illinois, we do have a state board of elections, and uh, it's it's you know, it's run very well. In fact, a lot of people that have left the state commissioners at the state board of elections have come over and been commissioners in our office. Langdon Neal was with the state board for several years, and he moved from the state board to the Chicago board. Uh, Teresa Patron, who was at the state board, she came over to the Chicago board. But, you know, being the, the big kid on the block, you don't want to be a bully. In fact, what you want to do is you want to offer your help to anybody. We've opened our, our warehouses uh, to uh, other jurisdictions. If you want to see how we do it, this is how we do it. And we will go through from A to Z of how we put together an election. And a lot of the smaller jurisdictions like it. Sure, they don't have, they may have 75 precincts, but those precincts still have to be set up correctly. And hopefully we can, you know, show them what we're doing. And it's, it's I think it's been helpful. And uh, the state board, you know, listens to your largest jurisdictions, but they listen to the smaller ones because they do have some problems out there. Um, you know, we have a, a central computer room, but a lot of these jurisdictions and some of them I know one downstate used an all-state computer, uh, used the all-state office with their computers because they could not afford them. And luckily enough, the state board did get funding to fund these smaller jurisdictions so they could be on a level, level playing field. But yeah, that, that is always a problem. And it's all about money. It comes right down to money. That was high turnout, wide margins. We hope you enjoyed it. Big thanks to Lance Goff for being our guest and sharing all his Chicago wisdom with us. Please tune in next time to High Turnout, Wide Margins.